listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I am your guitar scientist. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Miss Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. We skipped our regular, regularly occurring episode. We do it every other week, right? The 1st and the 15th. Right. So it's July 15th. We sorry. skipped July 1st. I'm so sorry. We were very busy. I won't bore you with the details of why, but we were. So we skipped one, and it was a holiday for those of you in the States. We were preparing for a big family get down, and we had one, and it was great. Anyhow... Uh, because we missed the last episode, we have a billion questions, so I'm not going to bore you with the uh, general opening of the show. We're just going to go right to it. What do you say? Sweet. Uh, the other thing we're going to do here is, I don't normally do this, I actually do this all kind of editing style, but what I'm going to do is play these live. We're just going to listen to them live and roll. All right. You ready? Let's do it. Question one. Hi, Eric and Melissa. This is Joe in Philadelphia again, Idaho Joe. Idaho Joe. Uh, soon to be Joe of Denver, Colorado. Ah. Uh, maybe I'll meet some fellow uh, Fret Files enthusiasts there, too. Um, I have a couple of questions. I was wondering if you could go into more detail uh, from your last episode, episode 60, I think, uh, about Gibson nuts or uh, those Corian nuts that they used for a good uh, 10 or 20 years or so. Um, I went down the YouTube uh, rabbit hole and was really surprised by how much work uh, those seem to be to replace. I watched an hour-long video of a guy uh, sawing, dremeling, chiseling, filing uh, a nut uh, to, to get it out of the, the headstock and was really kind of surprised at how much work it seemed to be. Wondered if it was even worth it. Um, he even warned that you could really damage the the guitar by just trying to tap it out you know the way you might do with with most nuts uh, i'd love your thoughts on that and any techniques you uh, might have um a different topic um i recently uh completed a headstock repair uh, on a gibson um and uh, the owner uh, this is a black or an ebony uh, uh guitar you know painted gloss black and uh, the owner really wants me to try to refinish uh, the the broken areas. Uh, so 
it's stable, it's it, it's all good, but you know it has the the crack or the seam that you're probably very familiar with, and then right in the back of the headstock, there's um, uh, an area where you can see the mahogany. Um, and uh, not having a spray booth or anything like that, I was wondering if you've had any experience with those uh, touch-up pens, lacquer touch-up pens that Stumac sells. Uh, and um, if uh, you do recommend getting those, if you'd recommend just getting, in my case, the black one, uh, or would I need the black and then the, like a clear coat or clear lacquer coat on top as well? Um, any suggestions there for a very small quantity, small touch-up um, repair would be appreciated too. I uh, hope you're all doing well. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, those Corian nuts that Gibson put in, they are difficult to get out. Sometimes the the way that those are the way that those are kind of ledged in there, in between, they're in kind of a channel in between the uh, in between the fingerboard and the um, headstock veneer. And those can be so difficult to get out. the The best way to get them out is to score around them, and uh, then try to pry them up. But they're glued in so well. It's just a certain era of Gibson. Those are. A certain era of Gibson, those are difficult to get out. And the video you watched on YouTube is about right. I've sawn them out. You know, if you saw them out and then you can take a tiny chisel and start to just chip away at it, of course, wearing safety glasses. And, uh, yeah, those can be those can be very difficult to get out. The key is be patient, take your time, and don't do anything drastic. And uh, just, you know, one one piece at a time. What are they glued in with? Some kind of NASA space glue. I have no idea, actually. I, I really don't... I, I mean, I assume that they're just glued in with a good, solid, you know, glue. They might be epoxied in. I don't know, but they're wow. they're they're darn hard to get out. They really are. They're, they're just... They fit in there like a puzzle piece, and the way that they're glued in, uh, you can't get them out because... One of the problems is they're so brittle that if you try to grab it with some kind of an implement to to pull it straight out, right. it just chips oh. because it's so brittle. It's so flaky and brittle. Well, that stinks. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, and then on your headstock touch-up, you could try the pens. I don't know. They I've never tried them. They Honestly, they look too much like Sharpies to me. Um, it's kind of a... I don't know. It's not the most professional way to do it. Um, my guess is if you can, if you've sanded through to the mahogany, or if there's just finish missing, um, you're going to need to do things to prep that, like pour fill and sand, and then a sealer, and then color, and then you know it gets into finishing, gets into refinishing, gets right. into finishing touch up. It can be done with aerosols if you don't have access to a spray booth. Uh, and, uh, that's certainly a valid way to do it. I, I think, I, I really think probably the majority of guitar repair shops, uh, across the country, that's how they do it. Most guitar repair shops don't have a spray booth. Right. That, that I've seen anyway. I have one, but it's a, you know, I'm building custom, <clears throat> custom guitars too. So, uh, it can be done with aerosols, but, um, 
it takes practice to get that all right, and it's you know it can be tricky. What, what to really make did it he look right? It? He said it's black, so oh, th- you're lucky thing, there right? because yeah, because that's you know the worst case scenario is if they're like white or candy apple red or something. Right, those are impossible to try to do a spot touch up on, but black pretty easy. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, should we take another call? It. Yeah, let's take another call. Let's see. How do I do this here? This is a new experience. Here we go. Hey, Eric and Melissa. This is uh, Josh from Ohio. So, uh, I have an 11 year old son who is interested in building a guitar. Uh, so, he's been playing for oh, last year, and I've played for about 20 plus years. Uh, so we're interested in, in, in doing that, and he's looking at getting a, a cheap kit that you can get on uh, you know eBay and some of the sites out there uh, to put together. And, of course, he's watched hundreds of YouTube videos on how to make it actually playable. So just wanted to check to see if uh, you had any thoughts on that or any other additional uh, maybe things we should look at before we start down that path. Uh, been enjoying the podcast uh, over the last week of uh, binge listening. Um, so uh, thanks for that as well. Thanks. You bet. Thank you. I appreciate the call. If you're going to get like a cheap uh, build-it-yourself electric guitar kit, um, I wouldn't mess around with a, the bottom-of-the-barrel super cheap ones because putting together something a little bit nicer is really not much more work and you're going to end up with an infinitely better guitar the fret work on those on those real cheap ones is is bad the necks are warped the frets are bad spend a little more money maybe get an all parts neck or a warmoth neck or a usa custom guitars neck or a music craft neck there's a half a dozen or more maybe a dozen different companies to choose from where you can get a a, a neck and a body and then buy your own hardware. Um, just make sure that everything's going to fit. Uh, you're going to end up with a lot better guitar in the end, and it's something that he's going to want to keep, where if you build your own guitar out of one of those cheap $99 kits, uh, it's going to be fun to build, but not so much fun to play. So that's that's my recommendation, is spend a little more, get a lot better guitar. Cool. Yeah. And next, this takes a minute. There's a learning curve to this. This is a new thing here. Let's. let's hey, Eric. I have a comment. Mm-hmm. What is the greatest sound a banjo can make? <laughs> I don't know. When it hits the bottom of a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're doing okay. Yeah, Cam out. That's good. That's good. <laughs> These are unscreened calls, by the way. I haven't listened to the. I don't. We could get uh, any man, any number of things. I have no idea. Uh, we'll just have to see here. Eric, Melissa, this is uh, Marcus from Bainbridge Island. Melissa, thanks. Ordered a couple of straps. Got the uh, USA flag and the red-headed Space Ranger. Absolutely love them. Top-notch quality. Really appreciate it. Look, I got three questions for you. Okay. One. Um, this is the second. Fender style pickguard that I've been having static electricity problems with. Yeah. The you know I rest my fingers on the pickguard when I'm playing, 
And as I rub them back and forth, I get this crackle sound through my amp. Um, a guy at Dusty Strings told me to rub a um, dryer sheet on it, yeah. which seems to take care of it. But I'm wondering if you have um, a more permanent solution to stop such a buildup of those electrons hanging out on that pick guard. Uh, question two. Um, you have mentioned that you prefer just the basic strings uh, with the round core. And I wonder if you have no, hex specifics, core. Uh, which brands that you use, because when you say you just, like, you know, don't don't worry about the fancy fancy strings, just use the basics. So I look at Ernie Ball or Diodario, and they seem to me to all use the hex core. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you have some suggestions about the ones that you like to uh, put on your guitars. Um, and three, the... Um, on a Stratocaster that I've got, I've got a uh, 60th anniversary 1954 reissue Relic Strat from 2014. So it's got these 54 pickups in it, and I'm seeming to lose a lot of kind of the gusto when I go to the in-between positions. Um, if I'm just on the neck or just on the middle or just on the bridge, it seems pretty powerful. And when I go in between, um, I'm losing a lot of the kind of the high end. And so it doesn't seem like it's the volume drops as much as it just loses some of the presence. Um, so I wonder if you've experienced that, if that might be just typical of these pickups or your thoughts on that. How do you – I know you like the in-between positions a lot, so maybe you could explain um, – how that might be different or some ways to increase that. Um, thanks. Love the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, I forgot we were recording live and I could have commented earlier, but uh, I'm glad you like your straps, Marcus. I enjoyed yeah. making them. Yeah, thanks for buying some straps from Melissa. That's cool. About the um, static electricity noise on your pit guard we've we've touched on that on the podcast before but it's been it's literally been years and it's not a situation i've come across recently somebody wrote in with a brilliant solution and i can't remember what it was i think if i remember right they took the pit guard off and uh sanded it on the bottom they sanded the bottom you know the underside of the pit guard they sanded it and that seemed to take care of it Interesting. If I remember right, that's what the deal was. I've also heard of guys taking off the pit guard, putting a dryer sheet in between the guitar and the pit guard, and then screwing it back on. And that's supposed to help with the static electricity. Interesting. Yeah. And it's just because it's plastic and it just... Yeah, it just... Static electricity buildup, you know? It just happens. Interesting. Um, The other thing I've heard of people doing is if you take the pit guard off and you can... You can spray the underside with lacquer, let it dry and cure, and then put it back on. So there's a few solutions for you. You can try those. Your mileage may vary, but let me know what you come up with and let me know how it works. His next question was, do you remember? Oh, my gosh. Do we have oh, to go back uh, to- hex, Oh, yeah, hex wound versus... Oh, yeah, strings. Um, he ha- you, you got it backwards, my friend. It's the hex core strings I like. Stay away from round core strings. That's my opinion. I know some people think I'm wrong about that. That's great. No problem. Um, You know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. My opinion is 
the round core strings have intonation problems, and it's because I've seen it over and over and over again, specifically some certain brands. But uh, stay away from round core strings. I would use plain old Diodario is my favorite, or Ernie Ball is fine, hex core. You know, with Diodario, I use the EXL-110s. That's 90% of the electric guitars that I work on, that's what they get. Diodario EXL-110s, 10 through 46, hex core, nickel wound. That's, you know, that's that's the plain old standard. Hex core, that's the way to go. Uh, on your pickup question, the in-between sounds... Uh, it's pretty it's pretty standard to lose a little bit of oomph because what's happening there is uh you're using two pickups uh in parallel and so the output is not quite as much it actually uh you know if you were to look at it on an ohm meter uh the output drops significantly um when you've got two pickups in parallel so um, it's pretty standard. Uh, I don't know if it's something you're hearing in your amp or if there's something specifically going on wrong with your guitar, but um, you mentioned that it doesn't have quite as much high-end sparkle. If you said that uh, the low end was missing, I would say you've got a phase problem, like your that your middle pickup is out of phase, but that's not what you said, so I'm assuming that what you're experiencing is pretty standard. That's that's what I think. Without hearing it, I can't be sure. You might want to get somebody to take a listen to it or examine it, you know, and and uh, check for sure, make sure they're not out of phase or make sure there's not any weirdness going on. But it sounds pretty standard to me. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for the call. We do appreciate it. And on to the next. Hello, Eric and Melissa. This is Micah calling from Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, Micah. And I've been listening to your podcast for a little bit now, trying to work my way through the backlog, but also listening to current episodes. Kind of a little book-ended thing. Anyways, I am a Luther Tech type guy, and I was just listening to you talk about frets being pushed into the sides of fender necks mm-hmm. up to the 80s mm-hmm. thereabouts you're saying yep and i've seen people and watched other guys and so forth push the frets out of the side of the neck yeah and i've seen all kinds of contraptions to do this yet i pull them out of the face of them and i think hearing you talk about water and soldering irons you're doing the same with the fret nippers and that seems to work all right i just wanted to know your take on pushing the frets out of the side of a fretboard which is on a radius and can blow out wood whether you do it that way or pull them out of the front anyhow have fun with that one keep up the awesome podcast love it thanks bye thanks micah uh it depends like so many things it depends on the guitar. Vintage fenders, the frets were installed from the side, believe it or not. And uh, I know it's crazy, but that's true. Uh, and so sometimes they do come out better 
sideways, and I have taken them out sideways. So it depends on the guitar. Fender fretted those and then painted them, and as you go later in the years, they used much thicker paint. And some of those that have really thick paint, they're very hard to take out from the side. So it depends on the guitar. It depends on how worn the frets are. It depends on what the fret ends look like. But you can take them out either way. It just depends on the situation. And I assess every guitar um, on a case-by-case basis. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll I'll uh, start with one fret and try pushing it out the side and see how that works and see what's going to work best for that guitar. So I just take it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like this next question is from the same phone number, so I I don't think it's a... In a recall? A, no, it's a different length, so I don't think it's a repeat. Let's see if it's a uh, okay. If it's a follow-up. Hello, Eric. This is Micah from Omaha, Nebraska. I recently called yesterday, in fact. Oh, yeah. Had a question about maple... Well, maple or rosewood fender neck frets installed from the side, taking them out from the side. And wouldn't you know, I'm listening to episode 17 about an hour in, and you answered the question. Um, oh, your answer you was, you don't need to take them out from the side. And uh, yeah, I you can. I'd call to yeah. give you the reference since there you, you go. probably don't know all the locations of your archives, which made me think. Have you ever seen frankfordthreats.com? Yes. I'm sure you have. It's awesome. It has a very cool search function. Um, everything's indexed, which would be so cool if your episodes were one day transcribed and indexed so you could search topics. Wouldn't that be sweet? I'm not a guy that's going to do that, but that sure would be cool. <laughs> Me Anyhow, neither. I don't have time, man. I did my own homework and answered my own question truthfully. I just wanted to participate, and good, uh, good. if I think of another question, I will call. Thank good. you. Keep it up. Bye. Thanks, brother. I don't know. I don't remember what I said back on episode seventeen, but um, I've taken them out both ways, and it again, you know, I do them case by case. But uh, I will say, I will say this: any vintage Fender that I've ever seen, and I've refretted a thousand of them. I don't know how many I've refretted. Uh, any vintage fender that I've ever seen the frets can come straight up you know I mean you could do them all that way right? but some of them it is kind of cool and it's kind of fun to take them out sideways when it works because when you're done the fret slots are absolutely virgin I mean it is really cool to see so do you tap them out? How do you get them out when you, yeah, when you get you, them out sideways? Well, I clamp them to my workbench, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you, I'll score either side of the fret to break the lacquer mm-hmm. and heat them up. Okay, so same... A little bit of water and some heat, soldering iron, and then with like a... Kind of looks like an awl. awl. Uh-huh. That's a weird word to say, isn't it? Awl. Awl. A W L A W L. Okay. Uh, you tap them out with a hammer and an awl. And you just do so very carefully. Yeah, I guess. right. But if you slip, you got big problems. Yeah. So it's kind of tricky either way, but yeah, they they can come out. They can come out either way. It's just some some guitars play nicer 
to take them out sideways, and some guitars play nicer to take them out straight up. So, All but, right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we've got one more call, but it was sent to me as an MP3. Oh. Yeah. How are we going to do this? I guess we'll pause and uh, patch it in here. Okay. Howdy, Eric. Howdy, Melissa. This is Randy calling you from the heart of Texas, not too far from Austin. I really enjoy listening to the Fret Files. I'm not a guitar tech. I'm not even much of a guitar player, but I am a nerd, and you all do a great job making this topic fun and interesting. It's just a great podcast. Most of what I know about guitars, I've learned right here. So I have two questions, one for each of you. Ladies first. Melissa, I'm interested in your Texas flag guitar strap. I, I think you call it American, but it's obviously a Texas flag. I, I need something really soft and comfortable, probably going to use it on a jazz bass. So could you describe the, the padded lining option and how much of a difference that makes? Thank you. And for Eric, what do you think about humidifiers in guitar cases? I have a Telecaster, a jazz bass, and a couple of uh, classicals, and they spend a lot of time in their cases. Should I be concerned about humidity or the lack thereof? It can get pretty humid here, you know, in Texas, but these instruments stay in the house, and it's pretty dry in here. I'd like to know your thoughts on this and any other basic things that I should be doing to preserve my instruments and you know, keep them nice over the long run. Again, I really, really love the Fred Files. Thanks, guys. Nice audio, Randy. Yeah. That was great. That was impressive. Uh, do you want to answer your question first? There? Sure. Uh, and for the record, Randy has already ordered and received his Texas flag strap. Oh, but sweet. for the sake of his question, I will answer it. The padding I use is um, high-density foam, which is the same stuff that you find in, you know, like couches and stuff, mm. that really super squishy material. So when you order a padded strap from me, you get my normal strap, you know, fully tooled or whatever you ordered, and then the high-density foam, so it's about an inch of foam. Stuffed in there. Stuffed in there, and then I sew another pretty thick piece of leather on the back. So it's two pieces of leather, leather with a uh, piece of foam in between, hmm. and it's super comfortable. Hand-stitched, by the way. Saddle-stitched, yes. I, I see her do that sometimes, and I don't envy the process. When I made Randy's, it was very hot in my shop. And <laughs> <laughs> I was not having that good of a time. Uh, when it comes to uh, guitar case humidifiers, it's definitely a good idea if it's going to be in a dry environment. Uh, it, especially on an acoustic guitar. So those classical guitars, if the humidity in your house gets down below, oh, you know, 40, 45%, if it gets below 40%, for sure, you, you want a case humidifier. And that's just to keep it from cracking, you know, mostly. But it'll also, like on your electric guitars, it will help prevent something we call fret sprout, which is where the metal fret ends actually start to stick out from the neck just a little bit. And that's because the wood shrinks and the metal doesn't. Right. Yeah, so um, case humidifiers, good idea if it's going to be dry. Absolutely. Shall we take a break? Let's do it. We'll take a break and be right back with some questions. Hi, 
Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at ECGuitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. Are you uh, ready to take some uh, some questions here, some yeah. emails? Yes. All right, let's, let's do it. Let's read some emails. Let's go. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. From episode 61, Isaac may want to check out Sorokin, Sorokin guitars from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. S-O-R-O-K-I-N. Sorokin are sold by Stang Guitars in Edmonton. I have not had the chance to play one or meet the builder, but they look fantastic, and the level of detail is exceptional. Check them out on Instagram. That's from Logan Sarchfield. Sarkfield? Yeah, those guitars look amazing. Uh, I think that was the question about... uh, Who makes Gibson-style... Vintage uh, guitar. Vintage uh, style replica yeah. relic, you know, guitars. Yeah, those really look great. Absolutely. Yeah, they're spot on. Cool. Thanks, Logan. I have a Fender parts caster that I have a hard time finding the perfect bridge pickup for. I am primarily a jazz guitarist. I play standards at corporate events, weddings, and restaurants. My telly sound is more Ed Bickert than Keith Richards. The body is hard ash. The neck pickup is a Fender Noiseless, which I love, and I have had four different pickups in the bridge, p- bridge position, but none of them has done the job. I am not looking for twang, but rather something smoother that I could use for bluesy numbers. I also have a push-pull pot installed in this guitar because one of the previous pickups was a four-coil, which I split. Any suggestions? I am currently considering an Alnico 2.5 from Q Pickups or Seymour Duncan, but I am open to suggestions. I'm tired of seeing this guitar on my bench, and I, I would rather see it in my hands on a gig. Let's take that. Let's take these as they come. Okay. Uh, it's hard for me, and I know I've said this on the podcast before, but it's hard for me to give pickup recommendations because it's kind of like trying to recommend an ice cream flavor. Right. I don't know what you're going to like, and I don't know what I like might not be what you like, and everybody's tastes are different, everybody hears things different, everybody plays different. So with that in mind... It's hard for me to say. I don't know, but I'd be happy to make one for you. You know, I, you know, I make pickups, right? Try one of mine. You could try um, the two. The two five is an interesting pickup because it has uh, uh, two different kinds of Alnico in it, two different kinds of magnets in it. Oh, okay. Um, so you know, I I don't know. It's hard for me to, yeah, you know, go with the, uh, go with your gut. 
Right. You're just going to have to keep swapping out pickups until you find something you like. That's what everybody does, man. Sorry about it. Mm. Uh, part two of his question is, um, I will need a neck on that, baby. I have had maple, a roasted maple, a rosewood, and a mahogany and rosewood finger. Sorry. Rosewood neck on it. Each of these necks have migrated to other guitars due to the fact that I could not get the bridge pickup figured out. Uh, I don't know what you want. You know more about it than I do, man. You know more, you know more about what you want than I do. I really don't know from your question what you're, what you're after there for a neck, but uh, there's great companies to put necks on there that you can have custom made, like Sound Guitar Works or their formerly Best Guitar Parts. They make great necks. USA Custom Guitars, they make great stuff. Music Craft. Right. I mentioned all these earlier in the podcast. Um, or you can just get a fender neck. Yeah. It sounds like, though, that the pickup is really the issue, and if yeah. the neck feels comfortable, put it on the guitar. Yep. There right? you go. Buy one of my pickups. <laughs> uh, and here is a question for Melissa. Do you make vintage-style straps? I like the type made by Fender, Levi's, and others that contain a thin leather belt with a padded shoulder strap. I think that's Levy's. Oh, sorry. Levy's. And also, could you put my logo on the strap? Yes, I can do all of that. Um, I do make those thin leather ones with the mm-hmm. shoulder pads. They're a little bit more expensive. I just don't have them listed on my... Because they're way cooler. Yeah. They're, they're, really, they're really made a lot nicer than the... Than the they're, they're called spaghetti straps, or at least that's what I've heard them called. Right. Um, but yeah, they're very, very nice. Um, and you can uh, email me at melcoleather at gmail.com, and we can talk about it. And, uh, yeah, I should be able to put your logo on. No problem. Uh, anyway, he says, love your show, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony. Howdy, guys. I missed you two weeks ago. Sounds like the life's been keeping you too busy. Yeah. As you know, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. Anywho, I have a couple questions for you. You mentioned in an earlier episode that when you're finishing your guitars that you are literally doing a painting, each one being a different painting. Yeah, kind of, yeah. That's how I think about it. It's not actually what I'm doing, but that's how I do think about it. Are you <laughs> are you literally painting detail wear and spots with a brush and nitro? We all love your work, so it has intrigued more than a few of my friends. Without giving away your hard-earned trade secrets, could you elaborate on that a little? Sure. You know, um, some of it is sprayed on. Uh, for example, um, I have templates that I put on a, like if I'm spraying a Telecaster and I want the finish to be yellowed, I'll put a template on there so that it looks like the finish yellowed, but it didn't yellow under where the pit guard would be and the bridge and the control plate. So you put a template on there and then you spray some amber on there uh, and then you take the templates off and then you spray your clear. So some of it is actually sprayed on. Uh, I don't really use a brush to do anything, but there is a lot of other things involved like stain and um, different chemicals and different compounds and different processes. I use heat and cold and I use steam and I use all kinds of things to, to make the guitars look like they're 50, 60 years old. Right. And I've seen, and not to give away any details, but I've seen you do fine detail work by hand. Oh, too. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of it is, yeah, a lot of it is really, you know, get out the, I've got a little magnifying glass lamp that comes down on my bench and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, it's fun. There's one part he does that I call it the magic fairy dust. 
and I won't tell you any more about oh. that. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is something I feel weird about talking about because it's kind of a, I don't know, everybody's really guarded about the, the way they relic guitars and everybody's kind of has secret methods and I don't know. I mean, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like a magician's, you know. Right. But you, they don't really tell how they do their tricks, you know. But it's all on the internet. It's nothing It's nothing that amazing. Right. Uh, secondly, I was told that the earlier Telecaster black guards, pick guards, were wavy. Yeah. Which is why you often see a grain pattern worn away on them. If they were wavy originally, why aren't modern Bakelite guards wavy? What is the actual cause of these grain lines? Uh... From my understanding is that it's a manufacturing process that when they made the Bakelite sheets back in the day, um, they were, you know, they're pressing fibers together uh, in a press under under heat and pressure, I think. And whatever they were pressing with had just very minute waviness to it. So the the that's my guess. The pickguard itself has is literally kind of wavy? Gr- kind of like grain lines, you know. It's very slightly, very slightly wavy. Okay. Just uh, like stripes, almost. Well, but, I, yeah, because I've seen them worn. Yeah, that and way. when they wear, the high spots wear away first, and so it it gives a striped so, pattern. So it gives kind of a striped pattern to it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And f- my understanding is that. They don't make Bakelite in, like that anymore, or whatever company they were Fender was getting their Bakelite from. That's how they did it. Right. But uh, I haven't seen, and I've bought Bakelite sheets from several suppliers, and every one that I've ever seen is mo- uh, modern manufacturing. They're perfectly straight. Huh. Yeah. So I make them wavy so that they'll wear how I, wa- how I want them to wear. Right. But I do it by building up paint. Oh, okay. And using using a a template to spray some paint and build it up and then remove the template. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I apologize if this seems too nitty-gritty centric, but these aren't topics discussed much on the show, and I'm sure other detail-obsessed guys and gals like me would get more than a kick out of the topics at hand. Yeah, it's fun stuff, man. Thanks. All the best to you and yours. Jeff Metz Jr. of Metz Guitar Repair. Yeah. Uh, I like Jeff. Yeah, he's cool. He's my buddy. Uh, What do you think of the zero fret that they sell from Stumac? Have you ever installed one? I have a couple neck-heavy SGs. What have you found to be the best remedy for that, if any? Is it lighter tuners? I currently have the good old Grovers in there, which do a great job of staying in tune. What would you suggest? Thanks for doing the show, and keep up the great work. Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. We've had, uh, you know, a, f- a few episodes back, people were asking about that, and I didn't really know what to say, and some, somebody wrote in, several people wrote in and said, use a strap that kind of grabs your shirt a little bit. A suede line strap. Yeah, or, like a or suede a, strap or, um, some yeah. Some sort of fabric that would grab your shirt. And that's a great suggestion. That's, that's you know, about probably the best solution that I've heard. Uh, you could sw- swap out the tuners for something lighter, but we're talking about just a tiny, tiny amount of weight that's yeah. not going to make much difference. Yeah, the neck is the true problem, right? I mean, uh, yeah, it's that the body is real light, oh. and the neck is heavier. <laughs> right. And uh, what do you think about zero frets? Uh, so I think he's talking about the zero glide, zero glide nut that Stumac sells. 
Oh. He called it the zero fret, but it's a it's a fret with a zero. It's a nut with a f- with a fret built into it. Okay. For a zero fret, um, what can I say? I I'm not really a fan. I think it's I think they're unnecessary. I think they're unnecessary and gimmicky, and they look funny. But other other than that, knock yourself out. It should be said that Eric is old-fashioned, though. This might oh, be an for innovation. Sure, for sure. I am definitely a traditionalist when it comes to guitars, but um, I think they're gimmicky and unnecessary. I mean, if you have a properly cut bone nut where the, the slots are cut right, and they're um, if you put a little bit of graphite in each slot, there's just no reason to use anything else. In my mind, I, I don't understand. Like, we, we already have the best. Like, that's the best. Right. Like, we already have that. It's the best. Right. I don't, I don't need a nut with a fret in it. All right. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Did I make you mad? Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> well, he wanted to know what I think. I'm like, what am I going to couch it? I'm going to sweeten it? Well, I think and they're, Aaron, I think they're great. Aaron is Order several. E-R-I-N. Yeah. So, uh... Gender uh, ambiguous, but... Well, here's the other thing. I love Stu Mac. I do. Uh, I I talked to them recently, and they did some really nice things for me, and I just... I hate to knock one of their products, but this particular product, and they, and they have 10,000 products, so I don't think I'm hurting their bottom line any by telling you this. Plus, it's just my opinion. I'm just one guy. What do I... You know, what do you care what I think about it? But... It's it's a product that I think is silly, okay. but they have the all their other products are great. Well, most of them. I'm bugging Melissa. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. We got a lot of questions. Go to ahead. Get I'm so sorry. Hey, Eric and Melissa, just wanted to say I really enjoy the show and I appreciate all you two share with us. I don't really have a question this time, but I thought I'd share something. People are always asking about tools, and I thought I'd share my favorite three. They are all manual and totally inexpensive. I get a lot of use out of them, and they are somehow very satisfying because they are so simple. Also, they are low impact, and they are hard to get yourself into trouble with these tools. Yeah. Uh, number one, tapered reamer. You, Eric Daw, recommended this to me, and I bought it at Ace Hardware for $8. I use it all yeah. the time on guitars and other home projects. It's awesome for widening holes. Yeah, it is. A tapered reamer. Uh, number two, a hand drill. My dad has one of, had one of these when I was a kid, and we used it to build Pinewood Derby cars. <laughs> yeah. No one ever talks about these. Yeah. I use it to drill holes in pick guards, pilot holes for tuner mounting screws or pick guard screws, and lots of other things, too. It's a 4-in-1 screwdriver set and a speed check from McLendon Hardware, probably 12 to $15 total. Easy to go slow and control your depth. Yeah, those are cool, man. They're very old school. The hand, yeah. Hand drill. I prefer, you know, an, an electric drill. Yeah, but you know what he's talking about? It's a oh, like yeah. a like a butter churn kind of thing, oh, and yeah. it's totally. It's funny you yeah. mentioned butter churn because it's from the same era, right? Okay. Uh, number three, a peg winder bit for a drill motor. Yeah, I use it for loosening, but never for tightening. I use a manual one for tightening. It's restringing. It makes restringing go fast. Yeah. Lastly, I also hear a lot of people asking how to practice removing and installing frets. I would like to offer two squire necks I have from other botched or abandoned projects. Wow. Fret jobs are over my hand and I have no plans to start anytime soon. I salvaged what I needed from the guitars and I hate throwing things away. If anyone want if 
If anyone wants one, they can have one if they pay the postage from Seattle. If they reach out to you, you can give them my email address. They okay. are perfect for an aspiring fret job guy to hone his or her techniques. Any takers? So if anybody wants a, a squire neck, Zach has two to offer. You can email me and I'll put you in touch with Zach. Cool. Anyway, love the show and love you too. Hope all is well with your family. Zach in Seattle. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate that. Pardon my pause. I'm just listening to my child scream. I guess maybe... Uh, should we go check on that? Yeah, I'll go check All right, on. we're going to take it. No, we're going to pause. Okay, so Melissa went to check on our screaming children. I'm going to read this next question. Eric and Melissa still love the show and heard the request for ergonomic ideas. While I cannot say I am an ergonomic ergonomics expert... I did study it in depth for work set up as an industrial engineer at UPS for over 20 years. So, most of the improvements in work area setup are around designing the motion of the human in as comfortable position as possible. So, some basic tips include, but not limited to, always have ample lighting to reduce eye strain. Number two, keep your work within your optimal power zone. This is basically between your shoulders and your hips. That makes sense. Number three, avoid any work area that will add any motion outside of the above-mentioned power zone. Don't reach and avoid twist to avoid end-range movements. Number four, always face your work and avoid anything outside of a comfortable 30 to maybe 45 degree angle to your body number five focus on proper lifting of everything including what may be considered something light test the weight of the object use a sturdy grip close to your body using opposite corners if possible look before you grab to avoid anything sharp even those sharp cord cardboard boxes can give some severe paper cuts Lift with your legs, not with your back. Many back injuries are caused by lifting objects outside of the above-mentioned power zone, particularly in a situation of shifting weight inside a box or a cabinet. Hmm, interesting. Number six, avoid the same repetitive motion against gravity, which sometimes requires things like sitting down and using a lower workbench to keep working within your power zones. I'll use an old drafting table that has an adjustable angle for some of my wiring setup. Stumac, of course, has the Erlewine Neck Jig workstation, which provides optimal motion for a workbench to make different repetitive moves a bit less stressful on your body as you move the hardware to accommodate whichever portion of the instrument you were working on. But with a list price of $785, another possible solution could be an adjustable computer workstation desk that will change height from a full sitting position to a full standing position. This might be ideal for a pickup winding or leather tooling workstation. Cool. Example of standing, sitting, adjustable desk. Oh, yeah. He he sent a picture, which I cannot show you because this is an audio podcast. And there are a multitude of ergonomic adjustable chairs that can also help. I'm older than you, and I have some of the same aches and pains from guitar work, and I have done a lot of things to make work more comfortable. I've actually done fret crowning and polishing from an old adjustable Lazy Boy recliner using an old laptop stand, kind of like a TV table, with an adjustable angle on it. Between the tray table and the chair itself, being able to adjust positions, you can actually change the position of everything. 
Sometimes just changing the relationship of the repetitive motion against gravity can start using different muscle groups and avoid aid in avoiding fatigue. So changing up the relationship of the motion versus gravity can have a profound difference in repetitive fatigue. Interesting. Do you use files that have comfortable hand grips? Oh, yeah. I do. Um, and uh, he sent he sent a picture of a, a thing that fits over many other handles. Health Smart Ergonomic Universal. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Just like playing, here's another tip, just like playing, stretch and warm up first. Do not wait for fatigue and then try to stretch. That's a good, that's a very good point. Sleep. Melatonin also is a very safe, naturally occurring substance in your body that is available without prescription, and this can assist in proper sleep that is your body's rest and repair that everyone needs. If you if you are sleep if your sleep is compromised, you may not be giving your body enough quality rest in your downtime. That's certainly my problem. Yeah. We don't sleep. Well, we do. We just have screaming children that wake up at five AM and demand cartoons. So that doesn't help. Do you want me to continue? Uh sure. Okay. Drink plenty of water. Helping f- Helping filter and clean toxins and staying properly hydrated will aid in the lubrication of your joints and muscle muscle tissue. Yeah. That's also our problem. Yeah, I need to drink more water. Uh, Joint pain can more than likely point to mild to severe arthritis that can also be kept somewhat in check through some natural diet tips to control your uric acid levels. Mm. Arthritis never really gets better with age, although regular exercise and healthy diet are some of the best preventative measures. Yeah. Maybe we can get, maybe we can design and build your own lazy boy guitar workstation. <laughs> LOL. Sure. P.S. The whole family is always welcome to Ohio. It's not Australia, but it's not a twenty-four hour flight. We have a vacation cabin and a nice boat to teach the boys to fish. Wow. Oh, and beds for the whole family. Sleeping on the floors in Australia will not help that reoccurring right shoulder pain. Yeah. My whole family has been listening to the show with me, and we really enjoy it. And cool. we could even make some YouTube videos. YouTube hits equals sponsors and money. Yeah. I have several cameras and tripods, etc. Keep up the good work, and we wish you and Mel and the boys well. That's from Kelly Coma in Cleveland, Ohio. Really an awesome and thoughtful email. Kelly, I, I really appreciate it. And those are great t- tips on ergonomics. And, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. If we ever make it to Ohio, yeah, we'll we'll let you know. This this podcast is really long. We have so much to catch up on. Shall we take a break? Another break? Yeah, let's take let's one. Let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back with more questions. If you're a fan of the show, it has become obvious to you that I repair and restore guitars. I'm not a hobbyist. This is something I do full time for a living, and I've done it for almost 25 years. If you have a guitar repair that you need help with, consider sending it to me. I get repairs from all over the country. People send me guitars from far and wide, from Hawaii to Alaska to Florida, and I would love to help you with your guitar. I know a lot of people live in an area where they don't really have a tech or a repair guy that they can trust or maybe it's a really complicated repair or a really special guitar to you that you don't want to just trust anybody, you can send it to me. I promise you'll be satisfied with the results. 
I rewind pickups, I restore vintage guitars, I do refrets, broken headstocks, neck resets, you name it, if it's broken on a guitar, I pretty much fix it. So I'd love to help you out. You can go to my website to read more about me and to see a price chart. Go to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And if you need more information, you can contact me through that website by clicking the contact link and send me a message there and I'll get back to you. Um, So thank you for listening and now back to the show. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. Dear Eric and Mel, first, thank you once again for your answer on the last podcast regarding my insanely glossy PRS neck and how to tame it a bit. I plan to give that a go ASAP and see what I can do to make it a little little less sticky. Okay, on a quick side note, hearing my last few questions on the show, it appears that I tend to ramble a bit and make them long-winded. So, I'm going to try and be short and direct on this one. (laughs) That's a good thing to that's a good thing to do if you host a podcast. Yeah. Right. Uh here is my summary and question. Currently I am doing an overhaul on my made in Mexico telly and bought my first Pau Ferro neck. I love the feel and sound of the neck, but the coloring is too light for my tastes. I would like it darker with a more rosewoody look. Usually, Guitar Honey darkens any neck just perfectly, but not in this case. It appears Palfaro does not absorb oils very well and is a much harder wood. Can you darken Palfaro while still maintaining the wood patterns? I don't want to dye it black or anything. I just want to darken it up while maintaining the current feel of the wood. I.e., I don't want to stain it and then seal it so it feels like a maple neck. Any ideas? As always, thank you so much for all your excellent info and the great podcast. You both definitely rock. Take take care, Sean. Thanks, Sean. I can't think of any other way to darken it up if you don't want to stain it unless, and I don't recommend doing this, the only other way that you can darken wood like that that I can think of is to take a torch and and scorch it. And I would not recommend it. Well, Don't do it. Do you have to, would you have to seal it after you stain it? Could you just stain it? Or is it just going to get messy? I say um, that you should learn to embrace the beauty of the wood as it is. Ah. But um, I know that that's, I know that's not what you want to hear. Well, it's a harder wood. Perhaps you just need to put more layers of oil on it. I mean, more thin layers to to allow it to absorb. Yeah, 
I, I mean, I know what he's talking about. I've seen those before, and they really, they just don't darken up with the, with fingerboard oil. Mm. Yeah. Well, sorry, Sean. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Sean. Let's take the next question. It has just occurred to me, after 24 years off playing guitar, that most of my guitars are wired incorrectly. Or they have the wrong taper on the pots. Am I crazy? The pinup S style I have from you, Eric, Mary Lou, works wonderfully. Yet my tellies, a custom shop thin line paisley, and my nacho caster seem to be not wired correctly. Is this a thing? So let me yeah, interject they- here. He's left-handed. There you go. He's left-handed and left handed pots work differently so let's Ah. let's continue with his question i did some internet searching tonight and found a couple of forums posts about it this is what always happens they will all call the guy asking crazy asking crazy and make fun of him for asking about lefty pots then a guy will inevitably answer saying no no he's right it took me 30 years to figure this out is this a long-running conspiracy to keep left-handed players down is everyone in the pocket of big tone (laughs) Do I need to send you my tellies to make this right? Thanks for your time, Matt Mira. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I tell you what, it's not a big deal, and, you know, audio people know this, and electronics people know this, but a lot of guitar techs don't seem to know it. In fact, a lot of guitar companies don't seem to know it, or they just, they don't bother with it, but um, left-handed taper pots are totally a thing. And are a necessity to make a left-handed guitar work properly. If you put a normal audio taper pot in a lefty guitar and just wire it backwards so that it, you know, so that it, uh, uh, so that it rolls correctly, you know, from full to nothing. Right. Um, what happens is you've when you're all the way loud, it's loud, and then you'll back it off and it, it will just drop the volume will just drop off almost to nothing and there's there's not a there's not a good taper on it from 0 to 10 right because the taper is backwards right um you can use a linear pot which is slightly better but still not quite right you want a left-handed or what's called a reverse audio taper pot wow yeah and they are they're absolutely a real thing the only problem that I've run into is that it's much easier to find split shaft, neural shaft uh, pots, left-handed taper pots, and almost impossible to find solid shaft pots, which is what you want in a telly. Yeah, the shaft because, is really important, right? Because the solid shaft ones take a different knob, right? So a telly knob has a set screw and tightens up against the solid shaft of a solid shaft pot where a strat has a split shaft with that accepts splines on it and you just press on the plastic knob okay so different knobs different Different shafts uh and the reverse audio taper pots are easy to find for strats very hard to find for tellies so what do you do? Well, you can actually take them apart and make your own. So you have a custom shaft receiving the good knob. Yeah, you want the you want the innards of a left-handed pot and the 
shaft and the housing from a right-handed pot, which is, it, it can be done. It's not fun, but it can be done. The other thing to do is use a, they make a telly knob that looks right, but it doesn't have a set screw. It has a plastic thing inside that makes it uh, accept a split shaft pot. And that's what I've done in the past is I use a, I use just a slightly different knob that still looks fine. Still huh. looks great. Well, I've done both. I've done it both ways. Interesting. Yeah. I had never thought about it. Yep. So thank you, Matt. Well, Mira. and it's a... Yeah. Matt's awesome. And he's he's now ordered a second guitar from me, so I'm making another one. Wow. Another custom for him. But um, by the way, I don't do an upcharge for a left-handed guitar. But there's... I just want you to know, there's a lot of thought that goes into them because everything is backward from the pots to the nut, to the tuners, to the pit guard. Almost everything on the guitar is backward. Right. I was just telling Eric at breakfast this morning that he needs to upcharge for some things, and he refused. No, I'm not going to. So? Not going to. There you go. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I'm no ergonomics expert, but it is something I researched when building my workbench. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have some guidelines for standing work and workbench height. According to the CDC, workbench height should be above el- elbow height for precision work, just below elbow height for light work, and four to six inches below elbow height for heavy work. <laughs> there are other guidelines and suggestions as well. I've attached a PB- PDF downloaded from the CDC's website over a year ago. I can no longer find it on their website. I don't know if you can share it publicly, but it might have some suggestions you could share on the podcast. I w- also, I wouldn't let your lack of speaking German or Italian keep you from visiting those countries. <laughs> it's more about the money. Yeah. Honestly, uh, uh, Matt, it's, it's more about money than language. Well, and it's more about... I remember uh, we were talking about yeah. that on the last episode. I think we jokingly said that. But also, we both hate flying. We hate, like Traveling is the worst. When and, we get there, it's great. And I hate foreigners. No, don't even start with that. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's a joke. This is a joke. Uh, Many, many people in Europe speak English well, and almost everything is available in English, especially in larger cities, menus, museum tours, public transit directions, etc. Also, you can learn enough German or Italian to get you by. I I actually know a bit of German. I think I know just enough to get in trouble. I took German in high school, okay? I'm pretty, pretty much fluent. Uh, there are a lot of free courses available online or with apps. I know Eric doesn't have a smartphone, neither do I. That's that's right. Uh, traveling with young kids can be difficult, but when they get a little older, I would encourage you just to go if we have the money. It'll be great. Okay, on to guitars. How do you remove the frets from a bound Gibson neck where the binding is over the fret ends? My instinct is to score the binding nibs and remove the frets as usual, heat with a soldering iron and pull them out with fret pullers. But I remember you said something about saving the nibs on a past episodes. On a past episode, if you save the nib, how do you match the fret wire exactly? Do you even have to match the fret wire? And how do you get the fret wire back under the nibs? Also, any tips on matching fret wire to existing frets? Thanks for doing the podcast. I am still learning something new every episode. Matt Miller. Thanks, Matt. Uh, So to rebind a Gibson neck... Where the binding is over the fret ends, I'm 
I'm just having a little bit of trouble understanding exactly what he's asking. But Well, I um, think he's just asking about nibs, isn't he? Yeah. So uh, the traditional way to, to refret those is to remove the nibs and then extend the fret over the binding. Right. Um, if you want to save the nibs, then you have to just leave them completely untouched. You don't want to... It's not like you can take them off and put them back on. Right. I'm not sure exactly what he's asking here, but um, I think he's just asking, "How do you do that? How do you ma- how do you match the length of the fret in between the nibs? Yeah, correctly. You know what I mean? When so, this is something that you would only do on a very valuable guitar that still has nibs, and you want to uh, you want to preserve the integrity of the original design. Right. You take out a fret. And you measure it with calipers. Oh, my God. And then you cut an exact replica of so the fret. Do you straighten the fret first? Yeah. To, to measure it? And right. then you... Okay. So you remove it from the neck using, you know, you'll heat it with a soldering iron, being very careful not to touch the nibs. Right. Take some fret pullers and pull the fret and then straighten it out flat and then measure it with calipers exactly how long it is. And then you're going to cut an exact replica of that fret. And what I've done in the past is, you know, if you put it on a grinder, you can just remove a little bit off the, off of the edge at a time and you'll grind both edges of the fret. So you've got a fret that's perfectly, um, flush on either end. Okay. And then radius it and install it. Well, that sounds like a pain in the rear end. It is. And that's why it's, that's why it costs three times more than a normal refret right do you do that very often no almost never it's almost never worth it it would only be if you were working on a guitar that like a 59 les paul or something like that which is you know a guitar worth quarter million dollars or something yeah wow what was his other question Uh, uh any tips on matching fret wire to existing frets yeah calipers again Measure them with calipers, and uh, Stumac makes a great caliper, digital caliper, where you can really easily measure the height of the fret off the fingerboard. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he, he means in, well, yeah, it would be the same for appearance and for size, because they're all yeah. made out of the same stuff, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Matt. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Thanks for answering my question dis- and discussing ergonomics in the shop. I have another question for you, this time about nut slot depth. I have a few a few episodes back, you talked about your procedure for setting the nut slot depth. After explaining your procedure, you mentioned that pretty much any tech would do it the same way. Well, I don't. My procedure is to set everything up on the guitar, then measure the distance between the string and the first fret. I usually aim for something about point, uh, .018 inches and 0.022 inches thousands yeah yeah yeah. this works well really well for me i don't remember where i learned this but i know i've seen it done before as well i'm curious what your thoughts are and whether you are familiar with doing it this way thanks jason from beamsville ontario thanks jason yeah i've heard of that before and it's not how i do it but i think that it's a perfectly legitimate way to do it it's just not how i do it and i don't think it's how most guitar techs do it but i could be wrong i don't know i really don't know so 
So then he adjusts the, the nut slot depending on... He takes like a like a, a thickness gauge, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it called? A feeler gauge. And uh, without depressing the string at all, checks the gap. Oh, I see. Checks the gap between the, the string and the first fret. And does he measure... When you do this, do you measure from the fretboard to the bottom of the string? No. Or to the... From the top of the metal... Fret. Part of the first fret. Okay. To the bottom of the string. To the bottom of the string. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm sure it's a very accurate way to do it, uh, but in my experience, you want uh, you want the bass strings up off the fret a little more than the treble strings strings and i just do it by i really do it um by uh it's just something that i've done so many thousands of times that it's just just i almost can't describe the process i i i do it by look by feel and by literally when i say feel i mean i'm literally feeling with my finger the clearance right interesting i don't measure it with a with a, uh, a feeler gauge, but that's a that's a legitimate way to do it, and I'm sure and that it works wonderfully. Yeah, for somebody yeah. just starting out, that's probably the easier way to do it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Love the Fret Files. It is the best podcast ever. Wow. Anywho, a buddy gave me some Fender Vintage Noiseless Tele pickups that he never installed. I'm sure you are familiar, but mm-hmm. they are the stacked single-coil pickups. Two quick questions. I've seen conflicting wrecks online, no surprise, for the best pots and and capacitor combo for these. I also called Fender, and a guy who sounded like a 16-year-old said, like, uh, 250K pots and a 22, probably. He did not instill the most confidence. Realizing this might be just a personal preference thing, but where would you start? Second question, I've read these particular pickups frequently come dead on arrival. This may be a totally dumb question, but is there an easy way to test if pickups are dead without ripping the guts out of my telly first? Cheers, John G. in Chicago. Yes, absolutely. There's a couple ways to check and see if a pickup is dead. The easiest way is take a you know, take a cable that's plugged into an amp, so with the amp on and a cable, just literally touch the negative wire to the uh to the shaft part of the jack and the uh the other wire to the very tip and then now you've got a live pickup you can tap on it with something metal and you'll hear it go clink 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 through the amp or you can hold up a uh you can hold up a tuning fork to it and it'll go ooh through the amp cool the other way to do it if you have an ohm meter is to uh Hook it up to an ohm meter and see what it reads on the meter. And if you have one, I'm sure you know how to use it. Uh, so there's there's two really easy ways to check and see if a pickup is dead without installing it. Cool. And uh, best pots and capacitor combo for vintage noiseless Fender noiseless tele pickups. It should have come with some paperwork that would tell you, but evidently it didn't. Uh, I'm going to agree with the 16-year-old that worked at Fender and say 250K and a .022 cap, but um, it is a personal preference thing. If you put a 250K pot in there and it sounds in any way a little bit dark, you can brighten it up by putting a 500K 
500K pots in there. That'll brighten it up a little bit. Hmm, cool. Yeah, and conversely, if you put 500K pots in there and it's too bright, go to 250K. The only difference on the capacitor, it's not going to sound any different with the pot all the way up, which is how most guys play anyway. So it really only matters if you use your tone pot a lot. And if you use your tone pot a lot, you probably already have a preference on what kind of capacitor you like. I prefer 0.01 or 0.015 because I find that anything bigger takes off too much high end and it's really just unusable with the tone pot rolled all the way off. It just sounds like mud. Hmm. So, um, but a 0.022 is standard. Okay. Yeah. So you can start there. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Someone with too much time on their hands, i.e. not me, should make a fret files compendium along with along the lines of you being able to search for neck reset and the thing tells you episode 64 at 23 minutes and 15 seconds. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I don't remember which questions have already been asked, so sorry if this is a repeat. You know, it's the second time somebody's yeah. said that this episode. If you have a lot of time on your hands... Who would do that? And you don't want to be paid for your work. Here's the other problem. This podcast is really... I, I'm just drawing on my knowledge, and I'm shooting from the hip. I'm not like I'm... I'm, I'm not writing a book here, you know? Maybe you should. I'm not cross-referencing and doing research and for each question. I right. mean, I really do... We this show is really live, uh, and and uh, you're you're getting my imp- my first impressions from these questions, right. generally speaking. So, um, it's just intended to be kind of a conversational thing, and not any kind of a bible on how to do stuff. So please don't view it that way. And anybody who wants to take it and dissect it like that, you know, sometimes I misspeak. Sometimes I say red wire when I mean black wire. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, I would would kind of feel weird about somebody doing that, honestly, because uh, I go back and listen to an old episode and I'll think, I meant to say this when I accidentally said that. Right. But the cat's out of the bag. It's way far gone. There's nothing you can do. You let it go. But, you know, I would say that 90% of the information is, is... you can take it to the bank, but I don't want it. I don't want it to be dissected. Well, I don't. Know think, I, mean. I don't think anybody's dissecting. I think they're just using it as reference material. Well, I guess that's just my personal. Um, I guess that's my personality flaw coming right. through. Yeah, I'm thinking about it being dissected, right? And examined just, under a microscope. Just calm down. That's me. But everybody listening is is trying to do work on their guitars and they want to you know if they have a question about a pot or about a capacitor they want to be able to find that question within the show archive here's another thing uh maybe 20 percent of the questions don't make it to the show right i just answer them in an email and say thanks for the question we already used it for the show here's my answer yeah you know so if you have a question and you want to somehow be able to search the archives or something just ask me just search eric's brain you just you just email me i don't know i don't know anyway it's 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 certainly a uh it's certainly a suggestion that i um am humbled by that that you guys think enough of the podcast that you think it would be worth Uh, you know what i mean yeah no i do that it would be worth uh 
making some kind of a compendium. So yeah. I, I thank you very much, and I do appreciate it, and I really appreciate you guys listening, but um, I don't know. Well, we're not going to do it in any case. <laughs> That's right. That's the bottom line. <laughs> I ain't doing it. I got other things to do. Uh, stainless steel fret wire. Opinions? Experience? I've heard there are real challenge to install, alter the sound, and play a little differently, but on the positive side, they last forever. You're spot on. I have a guitar coming up for a refret at some point. After a couple of leveling and crowning sessions, there is no way I can extend the fret life much longer. So I was wondering whether to go for stainless steel to make them last forever. I have played a few guitars with stainless steel frets, did not perceive much of a difference, but then again, these were not mine, so it was hard to tell how different they were. Before I now make a substantial change to one of my beloved guitars, anything you can tell me from your experience? Sound? Feel? How difficult to install are they? Do you like them? Parts of me thinks if this were that great, more guitars would have them in stock. As always, thanks for your input and thoughts and opinions. Keep up the great podcast, Axel. Thanks, Axel. I really appreciate it. Um... I've talked about this before. I don't, uh, I just don't like stainless steel frets. That's just me. Some guys are nuts about them. Some guys think it's the greatest invention since the electric guitar and that every guitar should have stainless steel frets. Now, the reasons I disagree are, just like you mentioned, they're very hard to work with. Absolutely just ruins your tools when you when you do a refret using stainless steel fret wire. So you have to factor the price in, you know, to basically buy a whole new set of tools, the cutter and, and uh, boy, it sure is rough on files and everything. I mean, they're just, they're hard to bend. They're very difficult to cut. Um, they're just a pain in the neck. They're, they're really not fun. If I thought they sounded better, I think, I guess they would be worth it. But I don't. I don't actually like the sound. They sound weird to me. And maybe it's in my head, I don't know. But anytime I've played them, they have like a weird, sterile, clinical sound to them that is unpleasant. It, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, I just don't like it. I, and they also tend to sound like tinny or buzzy to me. I don't know why that is. I really don't. I'll admit it's it's really it's really a novel idea that they're going to last a lot longer, um, and that's it's a tempting thing and it's very cool, you know. But uh, the fact that they're so hard to work with combined with the fact that I don't like the way they sound um, makes it a no-go for me. I'll never put stainless steel frets on, on one of my guitars. In fact, I won't put stainless steel frets on a customer's guitar. I, I just don't like to work with them, and I won't. So, um, And I almost never get asked. Didn't you just replace the stainless steel frets on one of our friend's guitars? On Brian's guitar? Yeah, I did. He had it refretted by a guy who put stainless steel frets on it because the guy said, hey, this is the new thing and this is awesome. And Brian, my friend Brian, had the same experience I did. Um, he said, these don't feel right. They don't sound right. They don't feel right. I don't like them. 
can you take them out? So <laughs> the poor guy, he spent a bunch of money putting stainless steel frets in there, and and uh, he found it to be unusable enough that he had me remove them and install standard issue nickel silver, you know, normal fret wire on there. So, and honestly, you know, unless you're Unless you're Ingve Malmsteen and you're playing 27 hours a day, dude, your frets are going to last for years. Who's Ingve Malmsteen? Uh, he's the guitar player. Oh, okay. Uh, your frets are going to last a long time. I mean, they really do last for years. Um, unless you unless you only play one guitar and you play all the time and you have a really heavy hand. If that's you, you have, if if that's you, you press really hard and you play 20 hours a day and you only use that one guitar you know what it makes sense get stainless steel frets but otherwise i wouldn't do it i don't like the way they sound but go try them go go to a music store go to a guitar store and see if they've got stainless steel frets he said he's tried them and didn't notice a difference you know and I, and i've heard people say that they don't notice a difference me i hear a difference i don't like it hmm. yeah okay well, thanks, Axel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's just me. Well, this was kind of a special episode yeah. because it, it went it went a lot longer than a normal episode. Like but I wanted to clear the I wanted to clear all the questions. We had eight calls and I don't know how many emails. We had a ton of them, but um, I wanted to use I wanted to get caught up and use what we had. So, anyway, that's the show. If you like the show, tell a friend, share it on Facebook. Tell your guitar playing friends, and uh, if you have a minute, drop us a line, give us a rating on iTunes, uh, and the most important thing is to participate. And if you would, go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, that's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com, click the contact link, and you can send in your question or comment there and i'll use it as part of the show the other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482 that number again is 757-774-8482 thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you next time good night